Volume 2, Chapter 4 of The Mummy, A Tale of the 22nd Century. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Arnie Horton. The Mummy, A Tale of the 22nd Century, by Jane Loudon. Volume 2, Chapter 4. I am really glad we have left the house of my uncle, said Rosabella to Marianne, the morning after her removal to the palace of Lord Gustavus, for though there is something revolting to my feelings in being dependent upon a stranger, yet as it may soon be in my power to repay any obligations I may receive from him, it is better than the treachery I was obliged to practice towards the duke. There is something so mean in treachery. We are always apt to feel most disgusted with those vices most repugnant to our nature, said Marianne, smiling, whilst we are merciful to those we practice. However, I can't say I think there is much difference. What? cried Rosabella indignantly. Do you class those vices that spring from a noble though mistaken spirit with those which are the natural offspring of base, groveling minds? No, returned Marianne for I think the latter preferable, as the mind that produces them is incapable of making nobler efforts, whilst the others, by degrading their possessors, show forcibly the monstrous depravity of the human heart. I do not understand you, said Rosabella, nor is it necessary you should rejoin her confidant. Rosabella was not quite satisfied with this summary manner of dismissing the argument, and was proceeding to question her confidant's maxim when a tap at the door announced a page from Lord Gustavus, who came to know if the princess would honor his master with an audience. Certainly, said Rosabella, and in a few minutes Lord Gustavus entered her boudoir. I hope your serene highness has rested well, said the noble lord with his usual pomposity, and that you feel better this morning. I am perfectly well. I thank your lordship, returned Rosabella and the relief I have experienced by having the weight that has so long hung upon my mind relieved by my removal to your hospitable mansion has proved an excellent soporific. That being the case, said Lord Gustavus, perhaps your highness will have no objection to indulge the noble lords who have already declared themselves on your behalf, as also some others of their friends who are anxious to enlist under your banners with an interview. For thinking as I think, and as I am convinced every reasonable person in the kingdom must think, no time ought to be lost in a matter of so much and of such infinite importance. Rosabella, thinking Parmeville exactly the same as the noble lord, instantly gave him her hand to lead her to his library, where the illustrious personages he had spoken of were waiting to receive her. It has been already said that Rosabella was beautiful, and now that her recent illness and the agitation natural to the novelty of her present situation had softened the usual pride and haughtiness of her demeanor, she looked perfectly lovely. It has often been allowed that a beautiful woman never looks so well as when in affliction, there being something in the appearance of a timid, helpless female looking up to man for protection and support that rouses every generous and manly bosom in her behalf 
whilst that wretch must indeed be lost to every sense of feeling and humanity who could be deaf to the prayer of beauty in distress thus the appearance of rosabella caused a general sensation in her behalf whilst her usual pride and haughtiness which were well known only made her present diffidence and agitation her downcast eyes and trembling voice appear still more interesting from the strong effect of contrast they produced the persons collected in the library of lord gustavus were all affected by her manners and though perhaps it would have been difficult to find a group of individuals more various in their usual habits and modes of thinking yet upon this one point they were agreed the personages who composed this worthy assemblage were lord maysworth the lords noodle and doodle dr hardman and the young prince ferdinand of germany who had been taken prisoner by lord edmund and was now upon his parole of honour till the conditions for his ransom could be arranged he was at present the guest of lord maysworth who having in his youth received great obligations from the german emperor was now glad of an opportunity to show his gratitude to his son and who had now brought him to lord gustavus to introduce him to the princess rosabella prince ferdinand was ardent and romantic and he was just at that happy age when all appears bright and blooming before reality has destroyed the flattering dreams of hope when we are ready to believe all we wish and imagine human nature without a blot alas why are the delightful moments of life so transient and why can we never partake of pleasure without having our relish for it destroyed confiding however and unsuspicious as prince ferdinand was he was certainly excessively astonished to hear lord maysworth the advocate of freedom and equality eloquently plead in rosabella's behalf that her father was the elder brother of the present duke and that consequently her claim was strengthened by all the magic powers of primogeniture and he was still more surprised by his assertion that the present duke had rendered himself unpopular by advising the late queen to rebuild the late palace at richmond by which several hundreds of workmen were kept in employ during the whole of the preceding winter and saved from perishing good heavens cried prince ferdinand can you blame that was it not better than suffering them to die with cold and hunger in the streets no danger of that your highness no danger of that returned lord maysworth nobody can perish of cold in our streets because you know we have always pipes of hot air in them to make them quite warm and as to the palace it is really quite melancholy to think how many thousands of the public money were expended upon it oh i assure you it is quite impossible to find a man more deservedly unpopular than the duke of cornwall oh quite impossible said the lords noodle and doodle shaking their heads thinking as i think however and as i am confident every one here must think said lord gustavus it will be imprudent to depend entirely upon the duke's unpopularity lord edmund is beloved by the army and as he is decidedly upon the side of elvira we cannot be too cautious oh no certainly not we cannot be too cautious echoed the two repeaters it is a glorious circumstance however said dr hardman that the choice of the queen rests entirely with the people 
their voice alone will decide the glorious struggle and their free unbiased opinions alone give the monarchy its future queen yes said lord maysworth it is true it rests with them alone to decide the question and for this reason do you not think it will be as well my lords for each of us to repair to his country seat and endeavor by his influence in the neighborhood to procure the election of such deputies as may be disposed to vote favorably to our wishes the plan is excellent cried dr hardman excellent exclaimed lord gustavus excellent echoed his attendant satellites then it only remains for us to put it in execution said lord maysworth if the princess will excuse my absence began lord gustavus oh my lord interrupted rosabella hastily for she dreaded his long speeches beyond the power of description think not of me i must be indeed unreasonable if i could complain of your absence when it is for my service you will be employed the princess speaks like an oracle said dr hardman and i think we cannot do better than put her wishes in execution farewell then my friends said rosabella her voice trembling with emotion as they parted and may success attend you for the present my poverty in all but gratitude prevents my wishes but the time may come when you shall find the powerful queen will not forget the favors conferred upon the dependent princess oh cried the noble lords and dr hardman do not mention reward patriotism and the disinterested love of our country alone dictate our actions we think of nothing else twould be treason and worse than blasphemy said prince ferdinand to mingle the thought of self-interest with such purposes who indeed can see the princess rosabella and suffer the paltry thought of self to interfere with his devotion to her interests rosabella smiled graciously upon the youthful speaker though she did not speak if however said lord maysworth the interests of the state should require a general more experienced than lord edmund i have served and i would willingly forego the transports of domestic peace to devote myself to the welfare of my country or if the state should need a minister observed lord gustavus thinking as i think and as i am sure every one who hears me must think or at least ought to think she has a right to command the services even of one so devoted to retirement as myself for my part said dr hardman i wish neither place nor pension but if my humble services in a medical capacity fear not returned rosabella but that all your wishes shall be gratified for if i should be queen i shall only regard myself as an agent to dispense my power to the hands of those most worthy of it as she said this she withdrew having the rare happiness to leave all her auditors perfectly satisfied with her conduct in fact such was their delight that each stood for some moments after her departure lost in contemplation indulging in daydreams of the delightful anticipations her words and manner had excited till like farmer ashfield and his dame in speed the plough they were in imminent danger of running foul of each other in their abstraction the entrance of a servant however roused them from their reveries and feeling somewhat ashamed of having so far begotten the dignified sentiments they had been professing 
they retired to their respective homes to take measures to put the scheme that had been suggested into execution how i hate that lord gustavus exclaimed rosabella when she reached her boudoir even if he makes a sensible observation he adds so many explanations to it that the spirit evaporates yes returned marianne he has yet to learn that to tack explanations to wit is like adding water to wine you diminish its strength and spoil its flavor but even he is preferable to lord maysworth oh i don't think so cried rosabella for a ridiculous fool is always better than a prosing one i can laugh at lord maysworth but lord gustavus sends me to sleep when an important enterprise is undertaken said marianne it will not do to be very scrupulous about the tools one employs to accomplish it it is the part of a man of talent to discover the weaknesses of the human beings around him and make them each subservient to his purpose at any rate that is not difficult in my case rejoined rosabella for my good friends are so eager to show themselves off that i must do them the justice to say they neither give me the trouble to find out their weaknesses nor the way to win them prince ferdinand is the only one who possesses a single spark of noble feeling and he i think you say seems struck with your appearance he appeared to be so we must improve that prepossession the alliance of germany may be invaluable to us you must encourage the hopes of the prince and do all you can to fan his infant passion into a flame but i love edmund pshaw how can you be so childish i do not wish you to love prince ferdinand if you can contrive to make him love you it will be all that is necessary but do you consider the cruelty of trifling with his feelings marianne laughed i did not imagine you so romantic said she tauntingly do not alarm yourself the rage for dying of love is gone by therefore notwithstanding the power of your charms you must excuse me if i presume to doubt their murderous properties rosabella was too much mortified by the manner in which her confidant treated her scruples to wish to continue the conversation though the reasoning of marianne produced its full effect upon her mind and even in spite of herself influenced her conduct in the meantime the family of the duke experienced considerable uneasiness on account of clara whose health gradually declined i cannot imagine what is the matter with clara said sir ambrose one day to dr coleman i wish you would talk to her a little here clara my dear do just step this way you will be quite shocked doctor at the change in her appearance poor girl i don't think she has ever properly overcome the fright she experienced at the first sight of the mummy for she has never seemed herself since but here she comes clara i send for you to speak to dr coleman dr coleman was excessively struck by the alteration in clara's appearance the beautiful lively blooming girl was changed to a pale shadow-like being whose existence seemed to hang upon a thread and whose fragile form the first ungentle breeze would annihilate what is the matter with you my dear child asked the doctor nothing said clara sighing and i don't know anything that can be worse said father murphy who happened to be present for that's the speech a young lady always makes when she's in love and i don't know any disease that's harder to cure in love cried sir ambrose 
roused by that ill-omened word which generally grates so harshly upon the ears of parents and guardians in love repeated he looking earnestly at his niece who can she possibly be in love with ay that's the question said the duke for i am sure since she has been here i have never trusted her from under my own eye and i'll defy her to fall in love without my knowing it no no she cannot be in love och and that's no reason at all cried father murphy for i never knew of watching doing any good at all in such matters well clara said dr coleman you hear father murphy's opinion do you plead guilty to the charge clara's blushes became deeper and her agitation so excessive as dr coleman fixed his eyes upon her that finding she could not bear his looks she burst into tears and hurried out of the room poor clara the fangs of the most cruel of passions had indeed pierced thy heart though thou wast unconscious of it thyself it may be remembered that on the day of edmund's triumph clara had been forcibly struck by the fine figure and noble appearance of a youth who had walked as prisoner in the procession it was prince ferdinand who having formed a strong intimacy with lord edmund had been an almost constant visitor at the house of the duke ever since clara was just at the age when the human mind first begins to feel the want of something to love in her own family her affections had been thrown back upon herself and being driven to the regions of fancy to find an object to occupy her heart she would often wander for hours together in the garden picturing to herself adventures which she would paint in all the vivid colors of imagination till lost in creations of her own she would almost forget the tame cold realities of life of course all these imaginary adventures could not exist without a hero but clara could never fix upon any definite form to bestow upon him till she had seen prince ferdinand then all her dreams seemed realized and the secret god of her idolatry appeared to stand before her in propria persona clara was now perfectly happy and as from the prince's frequent visits to her cousin she now often passed whole days in his society though he perhaps scarcely saw her or at most regarded her but as a pretty child yet she was satisfied she saw him and she heard him speak what more was wanting to complete her dream of bliss lord edmund's departure for the country however broke this magic charm prince ferdinand came no more to the dukes and clara heard of him only as the devoted admirer of rosabella jealousy till that moment had been scarcely known to her even by name but it now shot its fiercest pangs into her heart she had never been accustomed to conceal her feelings and they now destroyed her the climax however was still to come one day as she was mournfully pacing the terrace in the garden she was startled by the appearance of prince ferdinand himself her agitation was excessive her lips trembled and she panted for breath but he passed on without noticing her yes it was he the cherished idol of her thoughts the hero of her dreams and he had passed without seeing or at least without seeming to behold her was it possible he could have seen her and passed so coldly was it possible she could be so totally indifferent to one who was all the world to her oh there was madness in the thought she could not bear her own reflections 
what would become of her she knew not she cared not and in an agony of despair she plunged into the thickest grove of the garden though it was summer the day was cold and chilly a drizzling mist fell fast and a thick fog from the river wrapped the grove in gloom heedless however of the weather clara hastened on to the spot where stood the marble urn but as she approached it she started back for close behind it stood the hideous figure of cheops dimly seen through the gathering gloom fear not said he in a softened though still hollow voice tell me your woes and if i can i will assist you alas it is in vain cried clara in an agony of despair too profound even to admit of her feeling the fear generally experienced by all who saw the mummy no one can relieve me i have no hope cheops smiled poor child said he it is always thus when eros first creeps into the soul covering his arrows with roses so that they are not seen till their barbed points rankle in the heart i cannot tell how much i pity thee so young and lovely too it is hard that even thou shouldst not be exempt from the common lot of mortals yet do not despair i do despair cried clara darting away from him i am truly wretched from this moment clara saw the mummy almost daily and her mind acquired new force and energy from his society though her health visibly declined it was not indeed possible for human beings to hold daily intercourse with cheops without feeling their souls withered the glowing tints of youth and health faded rapidly from the cheeks of clara she became pale and spiritless whilst she appeared to have lost all interest in the common affairs of life her fits of abstraction however her dejection and her solitary wanderings at length became so evident as to excite the attention of her uncle and the scene we have just described was the result nothing could be more painful to poor clara than the questioning she had undergone she rushed from the presence of her friends to her favorite garden to think over what had passed and implore the assistance of the mysterious being with whom she had associated herself he was not there however and though she repeatedly called upon his name he came not the weather was now delicious the autumnal tints that had just begun to change the lovely verdure of summer into a glowing brown gave richness to the landscape since the abolition of coal and wood fires the air of london had become pure and bright though it still remained soft from its vicinity to the river and it was thus highly favorable to vegetation whilst as no house was permitted to approach within a certain distance of the thames the sumptuous gardens that bordered its banks were beautiful in the extreme that of the duke which has been so often alluded to was in particular laid out in the greatest taste and its grateful shade and delicious fragrance calmed poor clara's troubled spirits and soothed them to repose nothing indeed could have a more lulling effect upon the harassed senses than the scene before her the air was perfectly still not a leaf was agitated nor a flower stirred all nature seemed to repose but clara alone felt restless the questions of dr coleman and surmises of father murphy had created a variety of new feelings in her mind 
and she wandered up and down oppressed by a sensation of melancholy which she had never felt before she could not define her own sensations she could not analyze her thoughts and as she sauntered to and fro without any determinate object she listlessly pulled the leaves from a rose which she carried in her hands the scattering of the rose leaves however recalled her to herself and she smiled as she saw the mischief she had done alas poor rose sighed she apostrophizing the flower i know not why i have destroyed thee then walking hastily away she plunged into the thickest part of the grove why am i thus agitated said she to herself why do i feel thus miserable and discontented can it be love love she repeated whilst deep blushes glowed upon her cheeks and she started at the echo of her own voice she threw herself upon a turfy bank under a shady tree and resting her head upon her hand watched through the leaves the light fleecy clouds that drifted along the sky till oppressed by the painful nature of her own sensations she sighed heavily and tears swam in her eyes at this moment footsteps rapidly approached and clara springing upon her feet hastily drew her hand across her eyes and hid herself amongst the trees dr hartman and father morris who approached seemed absorbed in conversation and clara who dreaded father morris excessively kept herself concealed to avoid meeting him we have already mentioned that she was simple and innocent to a degree but hers was the simplicity of ignorance not folly her natural abilities were excellent and her mind uncommonly strong she therefore neither screamed nor fainted though from her present position she became auditor to a scene of the deepest villainy notwithstanding the influence which rosabella's party had at present in the state father morris was not satisfied he wished to make her election certain and this could be only done by removing elvira dr hartman was her physician the rest may be easily imagined clara trembled and her flesh seemed to creep upon her bones as she listened to this hard conference but her terror was even increased when they changed the subject and spoke no longer of an intended murder but of one which had been already committed clara shook in every limb and her lips and cheeks became blanched with fear yet she uttered no cry nor betrayed her presence by the slightest motion at length they went and clara stood like one awakened from a fearful dream almost doubting the reality of what she had heard an hour elapsed yet clara still stood motionless what should she do would her unassisted testimony be believed in matters of such awful import against the weight and influence of two persons of so much consequence in the state no she felt it would not yet if she remained silent she would be accessory to the murder of elvira what could she do what course ought she to pursue she knew not a chaos of thought seemed whirling through her brain and threatened almost to drive her to madness the longer she thought the more she became confused and she began to fear her senses were actually leaving her when a solemn voice sounded in her ear well did she know those deep and awful tones they were those of cheops and confiding the awful secret to him she promised to comply implicitly 
with his injunctions it was the day following this adventure that as father murphy and abelard were conversing tranquilly together lamenting over the degeneracy of the age their conference was interrupted by the sudden appearance of the duke where is sir ambrose cried he in a state of violent agitation where is sir ambrose i must see sir ambrose immediately calm yourself for heaven's sake said father mars who had followed him unobserved this violent agitation will destroy you remember your recent illness your age your weakness where is sir ambrose cried the duke this vehemence is unbefitting of your station continued father mars moderate it i entreat you it can do no good will no one call sir ambrose reiterated the duke and as the baronet who had been summoned by abelard appeared he threw himself into his arms sobbing like a child oh my dear dear friend exclaimed he they are determined to ruin elvira lord gustavus and his adherents are gone to their country seats to try to influence the election of the deputies and my child can have no chance against such treachery if that be all said henry seymour who had accompanied the baronet why not follow their example your influence must at least be equal to theirs he is right rejoined sir ambrose i know not why we did not do so sooner but even now it is not too late and what end can possibly be produced by such a measure asked father mars scowling darkly at the youth the freedom of the election should be inviolable but hastily interrupted the duke if they attempt to control it we may surely i was not before aware said father mars in his cold ironical manner that the circumstance of others doing evil was any reason for our committing sin nonsense cried the duke there can be no sin in securing the election of my daughter and so sir ambrose we will set off to-night if you please with all my heart said sir ambrose and the two old men and henry seymour hurried away leaving the monk alone he did not however long remain so for in a few seconds cheops was at his side so sir said father morris scowling upon cheops with a look of deadly hatred you have proved yourself my friend in suffering this babbling boy to counteract my views did you not boast he was your slave the mummy met his glance without shrinking and bursting into one of his fearful laughs exclaimed tauntingly and so he is but i thought you had determined not to oppose the duke any longer it seems then i did not understand your reasoning in the garden fiend cursed mocking fiend cried the friar gnashing his teeth nay returned cheops why blame me was i wrong in believing what you said was it then only a part you were acting to deceive me demon thou canst read my heart but it is thy wish to drive me to distraction no no my good father morris my worthy friend i honour you too much if i can read your heart i must be charmed to see such devotion to your friends such candour openness and integrity taunting devil be my sins what they may thy presence is a penance that might redeem them by heaven hell itself were easier to endure than those bitter scoffs 
and darest thou talk of heaven said the mummy in an awful voice which thrilled through the father's soul whilst his eyes glared with such supernatural lustre that the priests could not bear their beams and sank upon one knee before him bending his head to the ground tis as it should be continued cheops with one of his fiendish laughs yes he is mine he bends before my will now will i tell thee what thy feeble reason was too powerless to discover i am still thy friend the duke and sir ambrose will only injure their cause by the ill-judged measures they will take to promote it they had the advantage of justice honor and open dealing upon their side was it nothing to deprive them of these fair-sounding words will they in future be able to complain of corruption when they have attempted to corrupt had it not been so even if success had crowned your efforts would not the minds of men have inclined to the side of injured integrity for so they might have termed the party of the duke might they not also have said the election was secured by bribery and deceit and upon the first discontent that arose against rosabella's government would they not have recurred fondly to the recollection of the honest open dealing plain speaking duke men naturally love and respect virtue though they may be seduced for a time by the allurements of vice thus though they might not have had strength of mind to resist the arts of your party their best feelings would have still remained upon the side of elvira this can now no longer be the case the duke and sir ambrose voluntarily throw away their strongest hold they rush blindfold to destruction they degrade themselves to your level whilst as they are unused to deceit they will not succeed in their endeavors and disgrace will be their only reward now do you blame me blame you exclaimed father mars you are my friend my best my only friend my preserver with regard to edmund said cheops we must excite his jealousy if he were detached from elvira her cause would perish it would it would cried father mars try then thy effort said cheops and if thou canst excite suspicions fan them gently to a flame yet without seeming to do so do not attack elvira openly or assert broadly that she loves another but hint it darkly so that your victim cannot misunderstand and that the damning certainty may flash upon his mind with greater force than mere words can give well knowest thou what i mean and well hath nature modeled thee for such a part that downcast look that insinuating voice and half ironical manner the infernal deity himself could not well have wished a more fitting agent to execute his designs on earth than thou work then upon edmund and success cannot fail to follow thy attempts thou machiavel cried father morris my friend my dearest friend my benefactor oh how i could fall down and worship thee a sardonic smile curled the haughty lips of cheops learn then to obey in silence said he nor dare again to blame designs far beyond thy comprehension end of chapter four
of Volume 2.